By the way, if you're new here, um, the book of Ruth starts off with a, a family uh, leaving Bethlehem and uh, because of a famine. And while in Moab, uh, the woman's husband and two sons die. That's, what this, that's how this story starts. We've, we've made a little progress in it. We're in the, at the end of chapter 1. And we'll read on into chapter 2. So you follow as I begin reading in verse 19 of chapter 1. Here we go. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came in Bethlehem, came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might, I may find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, after, um, after 10 years of having lived in Moab, Naomi and Ruth finally return to Bethlehem. We're not told anything about their journey, uh, but we are told about the reception once they arrive in Bethlehem. And you'll notice that it says that the whole city was excited. There was a buzz in the city because, because they were back and they began to ask questions. You know, you can just see, um, little groups of people gathering in the city streets and it's, is that Naomi? My goodness. I mean, she has changed. The, uh, the years have been, uh, have taken their toll on her. And by the way, where is Elimelech, her husband and those two boys, those two good looking boys? Where are they? And, and, and who is that woman who is with, with, with her? I mean, she looks like. She looks like a Moabitess. You know, why the narrator includes that, I, I really don't know, but I have, a, I have a hunch. And my hunch really comes from verse 20 because it appears from what is said in verse 20 that, there, that the joy of the city, the, the excitement uh, of their return is that, is that final twist of the dagger in Naomi's heart and out gushes this torrent of bitterness, seeing them so excited, it seems to push a button in Naomi and she barks at him and says, don't call me that. Don't call me Naomi, which means bitter, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. I don't have any stories to tell you of God's great faithfulness to me over the past 10 years. That was her first words to people she haven't, hasn't seen in 10 years. She was rude. She was blunt. But she resents their joy. Um, it's, 
it's a joy that's, that mocks her. The, part of the, the city wants to have a party. And Naomi, Naomi wants to mourn. She wants to run and hide. So this morning, I want you to see two points. I want you to see Naomi the empty, and I want you to see Ruth the gleaner. Those are the, the two headings around which I'll organize my thoughts. But first of all, Naomi the empty. You notice what she says. She says, <clears throat> she says in verse 21, um, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home empty. Yahweh did this. I, 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 went, out, I went out with a husband and two sons. And they're both gone. I went out full, but I came home empty. You know, the, the word empty is such an ugly word. Um, I, I, I tried to trace it down and found it. it it's, it's the Hebrew word rekam, which I know doesn't mean a whole lot to you. But this may mean something to you. It's found in Isaiah 55 verse 11, which you'll know this text. And my word will not return unto me void. It's the same word, rekam. It's the word that she uses here. She says, I went out full and I've come home voided. I went out prosperous and I came back with zero. I, I went out with, with fullness and I came home with, with emptiness and, 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 and he did it. And, um, and she's right. Guys, don't try to sanitize that. The, um, the amazing thing to me about this whole little section is that after having said what she says with such bitterness and anger, that she's not just smushed on the spot, that she's not zapped. It's not as if you see God saying, why, you little twit, watch this. Now, guys, um, I'm not trying to be cute. Um, I I think it's a very important point to be made right here. It's important because none of us is ever going to handle our pain perfectly. You know, pain is called pain because it's painful. And, and none of us are going to go through those periods of pain and handle ourselves perfectly. You know, let some Christian friend describe his situation by using a four-letter word, and we're just shocked. Why, why, we're more concerned about their language than we are their pain. You know, gang, the, the Christian church doesn't, doesn't do real well when faced with, with realness like this. We paint on some goofy grin and, and, and begin to pretend. Um, and, and, but guys, in, in our pain, in our, in our difficulty, in our suffering, I'm saying to you that you're not going to handle this perfectly. You may do some things. You may say some things that you regret later. Naomi did. And she wasn't treated, she wasn't booted out of the kingdom because she handled her pain imperfectly. You know, not only that, but the Christian community says stupid stuff like this. They say, well, um, God would have never done that. 
I'll, I'll tell you, the devil did that. That's not what this text says. You know, when I first heard this story, I, um, I went out and bought the book because I wanted to read the book for myself and, and, and uh, to, to, to verify the story I'd heard. And it's a story about this book by Elizabeth Elliot. It's, a, it's, it's entitled No Graven Images, and, and um, it's, a, it's a piece of fiction. It's a novel, and she writes about a young woman who goes to the mission field uh, to, to some tribe in South America, I believe, and she goes down there because she's going to um, uh, translate the, the Bible into their language. She gets down there, and she begins to work on the translations, and she's finding it very difficult, of course, and, but, she, but she runs upon a, a man who can act as an interpreter for us, a go-between, you know, between the two languages. And so they begin to work together, and she begins to make some excellent progress. And then in the course of all that relationship, uh, the man develops an infection in his knee. And so she's got some, uh, some uh, medical supplies, and so she gives him a shot. And the shot kills him. The whole community turns against her, burns her house down with all her notes. And that's where the book ends. Right there. Elizabeth Elliott says, when the book, when the book hit the market, the reaction of the Christian community was so negative. One seminary president wouldn't even let the book on the campus in the bookstore or the library. And, and Elizabeth Elliot said it was so hurtful because basically it was my story. I went out full and I came back empty. Guys, the Christian community can be a dangerous place to be when your heart is breaking. Naomi, unfortunately, just breaks some of the rules of proper grieving. You know, uh, the rules are, if you lose a husband, you only get six months to grieve that husband, you know. She's been grieving for ten years. You're not going to do it perfectly. I, I, I will say in her defense, this is a woman who takes God seriously. And one of the reasons I know that is because of the expression of her pain. You know, guys, um, this just didn't happen. He did it. Why? Well, we don't know that just yet. But again, as, as I said to you last week, if you don't believe in a God, if you don't believe in this God, then you may be unhappy and sad and despairing, but you're not angry because who would you be angry at? It's only the believer who's angry because we know of this sovereign God and we know that he could have prevented this, but he didn't. You know, gang, what's ironic about all of this? is that Naomi is railing against God and cursing her emptiness when standing right next to her is Ruth. Ruth, who will become her fullness and will become our fullness as well. Are, are her complaints accurate? Well, yes and no. Um, 
she hasn't really returned empty because there's Ruth. But right now, in the midst of her struggle, in the midst of her suffering, she, she seems, she feels empty. I, I will say also, that means that she defined her fullness. She defined her fullness in terms of having a husband and two boys. And so God takes away those things so that he can fill in with herself, with himself. Um, she defined fullness wrongly. And so the, the wrong things of fullness have to go so that the real things for fullness can come. God throws her into a sick bed so that he can make her well. But what she should have said and what we wish she had said <laughs> she doesn't say. You know, um, I think it's what Hebrews twelve eleven means. You know that text. If you don't, you ought to memorize it. You're going to need it. Hebrews twelve eleven goes like this. It says, "In all discipline, for the moment, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful." There are moments, ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of your pain, that all you're going to feel is pain. There are all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, sorrowful, but afterwards yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You know, there's an incident in the New Testament where, um, where Jesus is in a boat with the 12 and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee and you know, this big storm comes up and they're all afraid and they're going to die and what's he doing sleeping and get him up. And so they go and they wake Jesus up and Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves and they, they quiet down and, and he turns around and he looks at him and he says, Guys, where is your faith? I mean, you got it. But at this moment, it doesn't seem to be operating. Huh? In the midst of pain, and in that instance, fear, Faith seems to go into neutral. Pain rocks us. And we don't live up to expectations, even our own or anybody else's. I may say something or do something that I regret later. Naomi did. But she's not treated like some kind of infidel. By the way, neither are the 12 guys in that boat. Guys, pain is disorienting. It, it, it narrows our vision. We act like some people that are drunk. And what we need to do is sober up. Because, because Ruth... Is standing right by me. I can't see it yet, but it's still early. Now <clears throat> that brings me to my, the second point, which has to do with Ruth the Gleaner. Um, this is so interesting in the story, at least to me. Verse one of chapter two—it's really a parenthesis. 
it, uh, verse one kind of interrupts the, the flow of the narrative. But, but the narrator now introduces this little tidbit about this fellow by the name of Boaz. Well, I mean, I mean what's going on? <clears throat> well, this is the second hint, ladies and gentlemen, that something redemptive is happening. The first hint, I told you last week, was the conversion of Ruth. The second hint is the, is the introduction of this guy by the name of Boaz. And you will notice in verse 1 that he happens to be, oh, he just happens to be out of the tribe of Elimelech. The same tribe uh, out of which Naomi's dead husband came. Well, what do you know? How about that? What a marvelous coincidence. You know, guys, he's not from Naomi. He's not Naomi's relative. But he's a Limelech's relative, and that's important. Because as a Limelech's kin, he can perform the function of the Goel. Now, what's a goel, Dr. Young? I'm going to tell you later. <laughs> About chapter 3. So at this point, having been introduced to this mystery man, Boaz, Ruth goes to her depressed mother-in-law and says, I- I'd like to get your permission to go out and glean. Now, if you've never heard of gleaning, uh, they're Old Testament gleaning laws. You can find them in Deuteronomy 24. But basically, gleaning laws was this uniquely um, designed welfare system to take care of the poor. The primary provision of gleaning was that you couldn't win the harvest time. You couldn't pick the field clean. You had to leave the corners and what you dropped, you had to leave behind so that the poor could come through and be provided for. So she goes to her mother-in-law and says, um, um, I'd like to go glean. And, and um, uh, I, I want you to notice in verse 2 that it says, uh, Ruth, the, Moab, the Moabitess. Well, we already know that, ladies and gentlemen. Why does he keep telling us that? The name Ruth is found 12 times in this story. Five of the 12 times it's said like this, Ruth, the Moabitess. Because the narrator does not want you to forget that the heroine of this story is a religious and a racial outsider. She goes to her mother-in-law and she says, the Moabitess goes to the bitter Naomi. And she says, I'd like to go glean. And um, Naomi says, well, fine, but uh, where are you going to go do this gleaning? She says, well, I'm going to have to go to some field where I'll find favor. Why? Why would she have to find favor? Because, ladies and gentlemen, you realize, do you remember? Not every landowner could be counted on to to, uh, observe the laws of gleaning because this is in the period where the judges ruled and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And by the way, (laughs) she's a Moabitess. No telling what they'd do to her. Uh Uh-huh. And then we're told in verse 3, guess what? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, look at here. The text says, she happened to come upon a field, a portion of which was owned by Boaz. Oh, how lucky can you get? Lady Luck has smiled on, on Ruth. 
She just <laughs> happened to come to the portion of the field owned by Boaz. Ladies and gentlemen, can you not just see the gleam in the eye as the narrator includes that part? She didn't know where she was. She's a Moabitess. She just happened upon a piece of land owned by Boaz. And I hope you know what the truth is. The truth is that an unseen hand had guided her from the moment that she walked out the front door. An unseen hand? An unseen hand belonging to whom? Could Could it be? Could it possibly be that God is on the move? Could it be that Aslan is on the move? The God who in all his work has a purpose and has a design and has an an intention, which are the very things we forget in the midst of our pain. Guys, even now, even now with a with an angry and bitter Naomi and a and a slaving Ruth out in the field gleaning for the with the poor God is working his magic even while Naomi is cursing him In verse 3 ladies and gentlemen The supernatural, apart from anything miraculous, the supernatural has just happened and nobody realizes it. And not only that, while the supernatural just happened, (laughs) Naomi is still angry. And Ruth is acting like a slave. She's out gleaning in the field of Boaz. (laughs) How about that? You know, guys, later on, all of these people will snicker over how unbelievably this all turned out. How God did the unexpected. But none of us seem to think like that in the midst of our pain. Don't call me Naomi, she says. I'm Mara if there ever was one. Folks, here's a lesson for you. You cannot stop in the middle of the story and measure God. You know that text that I quoted a few minutes ago, Hebrews 12, 11? Let me, let me do it again. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. You cannot stop there. The text goes on. But afterwards, 
it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You cannot measure God in the middle of your pain. Where was God all this time? I'll tell you where he was, ladies and gentlemen. He was right in the center of all of it. You know, back in my youth, we used to sing a, we used to sing a song. He's got the whole world in his hands. We don't sing that anymore. And you know why? Because we don't believe it anymore. You know, many of you don't know this story, but years ago when we were building our first building, back in 93 or so, the, the architect came to me one day and he said, uh, Dr. Young, you need to pick out a cornerstone. I said, a cornerstone? What's that? And, you know, that's when they were bricking the thing, and, you know, and he said, you need to pick, pick out a cornerstone. I, I'm in a verse that put on the cornerstone. I said, really? No kidding. So I, I didn't even know that was coming, but I mean, without, without 25 seconds worth of thought, I chose this one. It's out there. Just go out the far door, right by the church office, turn left, and it's, turn around. There it is. It's out of Romans chapter 11, verse 36, and it goes like this. For of him and through him and to him belong all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We tend to forget that verse because we're disoriented by our own pain. You know, guys, Naomi was right. The Lord did do this. Guys, there's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as bad karma. Nothing just happens. Do you believe that? Then the the next thing you need to believe is that the God who is sovereign over all of that is also good. He's the God who promised that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. He made you that promise. Did you forget that one? Guys, Naomi had a, had a, had an agenda. It was, it was the wrong agenda. It was not God's agenda. And because she had the wrong agenda, she was blinded to what God was up to. And you know what? We have the wrong agenda and we miss what God is up to for the same reasons Naomi did. She cannot see, she cannot see fullness standing right next to her because her pain has blinded her. Gang, the question is not what will I get when I'm, or or when will I get what I'm waiting for? The question is, what will I become while I wait? In the midst of this situation that I don't like, what will I become? When Jonathan Edwards died, Jonathan Edwards, the greatest theological mind America has ever produced. When he died, his wife wrote a letter to his children. And she said, um, she included this line. She said, a whole, quote, a holy and good God has covered me up with a dark cloud, end of quote. But guys, that dark cloud, it does not change his holiness and it doesn't change his goodness either. 
How do you talk in your pain? Or do you talk at all? Or do you just try to stay busy and get through it? Or does your pain drive you deeper? Deeper? Yeah, you know, if you're a tree and um, you can't find water, one of two things happens. You either die or your roots have to sink down deeper and find a water source. That ladder is the way of the Christian. That ladder is the purpose of God. The psalmist said it like this. He said, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy. Joy comes in the morning. At nighttime, that's not when you need to be measuring God. Let me do one more thing before we quit. This guy, Boaz, what do we know about him up to this point? Well, we know, first of all, uh, that he's wealthy. That's good. We know that he's kin. That's good. And we know that he's strong. Well, where do you see that, Jimmy? I didn't see that in the text. Well, it's not in our text. But I'll tell you where it is found. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 7. It's a couple hundred years later, and Solomon is king. And Solomon is building this place called the temple. You know, in Jerusalem, that thing called the temple where all the sacrifices and all that. Well, anyway, he's building the temple, and, and the temple is designed like this. Right outside the front door of the temple, there's two big, huge columns on both sides. Go take a look at it. 1 Kings chapter 7. There's a, there's a column on the right side, big old, huge, tall column, and it's, called, it, it's got a name, and the name is Yachin, which means um, it, it, it will be established. On the left-hand side is another big old column, big old thing, long, tall, and it's got a name too. Guess what its name is? Boaz. And the text says, in it is strength. When you walk inside that temple where the sacrifices are being made and blood is being spilt, that's where you're going to find strength. That's what Boaz's name means. Strength. Now, wait a minute, Jimmy. Wait just a minute. Um, I think something's going on here. I mean, um, something seems to be taking shape. I mean, could Boaz... Could Boaz possibly be pointing us to the one who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me as you are, all messed up. And rely on my strength. Come to me in your spiritual bankruptcy because I've got resources that are unlimited. Ladies and gentlemen, everything that Boaz was, Jesus becomes in its fullest expression. But there was one thing that Boaz could not do. He could not die for the sin of his people. Only Jesus could do that. You know, guys, <clears throat> this story began rather badly. 
but it's headed for a resurrection. And so is yours. Our Father, I I do pray that you will remind your people that, that in Christ there is strength. That, that there are promises made to us about these specific pains in which we find ourselves. And, and I pray that you will help us to take hold, lay hold of those promises and appropriate them for the peace of our soul. Our Father, if you have brought people here this morning who have not yet met the Savior who, or who in some way think that a Savior is passé and not something that they need, Lord, would you open their eyes to see that the thing that they're going to need when this life is over is not a bigger and a fancier and a more expensive car. It's not, it's not a fat 401k. It's not fancy jewelry. What they're going to need is a savior, a savior who is Christ the Lord. We pray, of course, in his name. Amen.